A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Oh, this is a great feast, isn't it? The, great, the feast of Pentecost. I, I don't know. I don't have a volume control on this, so I'm just going to drape this a little bit down here and see if is that a little bit better? Is it? It was just so loud before. Hopefully, if I make it further down, it won't be quite so loud. Um, This is actually a two-part feast. It really is. It's, it's Ascension and Pentecost. They, they, they fit together in a very powerful way. And Jesus made this very clear to the disciples. He says, I have to go away so that I can send you the Spirit. As long as I'm hanging around, you guys are going to be relying on me, and I just can't be everywhere at once. Not while I'm limited by, by flesh and blood, bones. Not while I'm limited in a physical body, I have to go away so that you can receive the Spirit. And so on the Feast of Ascension, which we just celebrated last week, Jesus ascended into heaven, and we all know exactly what the apostles did, don't we? They stood there and twiddled their thumbs, <laughs> waiting for Jesus to come back. Because they figured Jesus was going to go, you know, ascend into heaven, go take care of whatever it is he had to take care of with his dad, and then come back down and establish his kingly throneship in Jerusalem. That's what they've been waiting for all this time. And we, we know that. We see that uh, in, the, you know, in the Gospels, we read about the apostles and how much time they spend arguing with one another about who's going to be the greatest and who's going to sit at the right hand and not the left. And they have their own agendas about what Jesus is going to go through and and even Peter, some, you know, at one point is, is correcting Jesus. No, Jesus, you can't let this happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, right? Because they had their own agendas. They had their own, they were so wrapped up in their own desires to control, to be elevated, to be, um, to be the leaders. They had their own opinions of how they wanted everything to go out. And so they're standing around waiting, because this is it. Jesus is going to come down, and we're going to have a th he's going to sit on the throne, and we'll all get to finally, after all these three years of following him around, we'll finally get, get our payment, right? We'll finally be able to, to rule with Jesus. And then an angel comes and says, get out of here. Go back to Jerusalem and pray. And so when an angel shows up, you typically do what he says, you know, because they're big and they're bright and they've got swords and all that. So 
So, you know, they did that. They went and they followed the angel's instructions. They went back to Jerusalem. And they prayed for nine days. And then it happened. Jesus came back. Jesus returned. But not how they expected. He did not come back in the flesh again to sit on some throne. He came back in the spirit. He came back to empower them. To empower them. You see, they thought Jesus was going to come back and judge, be the judge, right? But instead, he came back and loved. Not judged, but loved. He imparted into the apostles a spirit of love. Make this even a little further away. He came back and imparted the apostles with a spirit of love and of unity to bring them all together and there was a complete transformation the apostles were recreated and not just the 12 but the 120 there were in the room, 120 disciples which actually included both men and women right we know at least Mary the mother of Jesus was there and Mary Magdalene was there and he recreated them he transformed them Remember in, in the Gospels we just read, they're hiding away, they're, they're, they're in a locked room because they're afraid of the Jews. You know, when you think about it, they actually they've locked Jesus out, right? Do you realize this? They locked Jesus out, but he didn't really care. He just goes right through the door. And he doesn't complain to them about the fact they tried to lock him out. He says, peace be with you. He doesn't complain to them because they're hiding in fear. He says, peace be with you. And then he tells them, as the Father has sent me, I send you. But they had to wait till this day, till the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit had to come into their into their being, into their hearts, into their souls, and recreate them into new creatures. They couldn't go out and, and deal with the world the way they were, hiding in fear. No, they had to be empowered. They had to be transformed. And so the Holy Spirit brought them and filled them with the spirit of love and compassion. And suddenly, nothing could hold them back. You who are parents know that when your children are in danger, there is nothing that can hold you back, right? You're going to go in and you're going to take care of the situation. And God had installed, had imbued into the disciples that same kind of love that nothing would hold them back from reaching out into the world and take care of the people of God to take care of the people of this world and bring them into unity in Christ. Because now they've been empowered. And there is no more fear. Well, Jesus has conquered death, right? There is no more death for them. 
if they're not afraid of, of dying, then it's really hard to find what they're going to be afraid of. See, the real transformation that took place there is that they were transformed from citizens of this world into citizens of the next. I like the song we sang in the beginning. We are a pilgrim people. This is not our world. Our world is the next world. But even though we, we kind of know that and we sing that and we, we have that thought in our heads, we sure spend a whole lot of time trying to make sure everything goes okay in this world, don't we? But when we are transformed by the Spirit, then this world is meaningless to us. This world has no meaning. This world has no grip on us. We belong to the next world. In fact, we pray that every day we say, we say thee our Father. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth, in this world, as it is in heaven, because that's our real home. We want, we want the heavenly kingdom. We want the heavenly will, the heavenly authority. We don't want this world's authority, this world's will. In fact, what authority does this world have? None at all. Not at all, right? Because what did Jesus say to us? He says, all authority, all power in heaven and on earth is given to me. And when the apostles are able to live and work and operate in that truth, all authority and all a power belongs to Jesus. And knowing that truth and being inspired by that truth, they come across a lame man. And in the power of Jesus' name, he walks again. Because all power and all authority belongs to Jesus. Jesus wants this man to walk, he's going to walk. All power and authority belongs to Jesus. And filled with the Spirit of Jesus. Because Jesus promised to be with us to the end of the age. And he is with us. He is with us. By the power of the Holy Spirit that transforms us into citizens, from citizens of this world into citizens of the next. It's what I call the resurrection life. See, if we have died with Christ, if we are risen with Christ, if we are filled with the Spirit of Christ, then we live in the resurrection. We live in the resurrection life. So what causes us fear? What causes us to hold on to the things of this world? Well, there are things we like to hold on to, right? I think number one thing we all want to hold on to is our opinions. We certainly want to have our opinions because our opinions, well, they're really important, right? We've spent a long time, at least 30 seconds, developing those opinions, and so we want to hold on to our opinions. Another thing we want to hold on is control. We want to hold to control of our lives, right? I'm, I'm in control of my life. A lot of times we want to be in control of other people's lives. We make decisions, oh, we, you know. Because, unfortunately, there's more than one spirit at work in the world, right? There's the Holy Spirit of love and there's the spirit of the accuser. And sometimes we think it's kind of fun to accuse other people. 
to point our finger at other people and say, well, they're not living up, they're, they're not living up to my standards and they're not doing things right. And, you know, they see mass in the wrong language or, you know, they don't even have mass at all. They just come together and sing and, or maybe they're Quakers. They just come together and sit. I don't know. But we like to, you know, we can point fingers at each other and say, oh, you know, they're not doing it right. Nope, I think that's another opinion. The spirit of the accuser. And we have seen that so much, especially in this last week. With the death of, of George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd, with the violence that has followed that. We see the spirit of the accuser at work. I don't know the policeman who killed George Floyd. I don't, I'm not sure what he was thinking whether he was, you know, saying, oh, you're black, so you must be bad, or he was thinking, oh, you're a criminal, or you must be bad, you're worth, you're worth, you're worth killing, you're, you're, there's no reason for you to survive. I don't know what went through his head, but it was the spirit of the accuser. And then now, you know, the, the violence out there, you're a cop, you must be bad. And so they, they come out, and everybody is just increasing the violence, one, one side to the other, until it escalates into disaster. And a lot of times we think, well, there's got to be a legal solution to this. There needs to be a political solution to this. But there isn't one. The only solution to the situation we see in this world is for the spirit of the accuser to be replaced by the spirit of love. That is the Holy Spirit. For when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes in love and joy and peace and patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. When the Holy Spirit comes, we cease all the agitation we have about trying to have some kind of a control or authority in this world, and we just desire to love. I've been around the charismatic renewals, most of you know, for a long time. And I remember, you know, even, as, even in the 60s, we, we, we would get gathered together in, in, in prayer groups and there would be Methodists. Well, I was a Methodist, so I showed up. So there was Methodists there and Baptists and Presbyterians and Pentecostals and Catholics. I remember being in an Episcopal church. There was every kind of denomination there possible. And, there was a, and it was, the speaker was a Catholic nun. And she spoke with such humility her voice was the voice of a child. I remember this. Very, goodness gracious, this is 50 years ago. And I remember this so visibly, just listening to her talk about love and about coming to Jesus as a small child. And I'm thinking, I think she sounds, I think she is this I mean, she's a grown woman, but she sounds like a child. There was such humility in her voice. But there was unity among all who were there because the Holy Spirit brings unity. In fact, where the Spirit of Christ is, all things, all creation comes together in unity under Christ. Everything comes together in unity under Christ. Do you, do you know people, particularly young people, people younger than me at least, that they like to say this, they like to say, I'm spiritual, not religious. You've heard that? And you know why they do that? Because in their heads, 
they look at religion and they say religion divides people. Religion creates arguments among people. I say religion and people are just bickering back and forth. And intuitively they know, I mean, they have enough of the Spirit of God in them to know that can't be right. So I must not be religious. I must be spiritual. Because I want to see people come together in love. What they really desire is to see the Holy Spirit at work in those of us who come and sit in these pews on Sunday morning. But not seeing that, they decide, well, I'm not religious, I must be spiritual. Actually, what they should be is Catholic, right? Because isn't that what the word Catholic means? All things come together in unity? Isn't that what the very word Catholic means? Is that we are here in the world to bring all people, every race, every nation, every language into unity, into one under Christ? That's what they long to see. That is the spirituality that makes true religion. Isn't that what James says? True religion is this, to care for the widows and orphans, to care for those who are in need, to, bring, to break down barriers between rich and poor, between the smart and the ignorant, between slave and free, to break down those barriers, to bring us into unity in Christ. Those were exciting days in the early days of the charismatic renewal. I remember we used to, we used to go to a prayer meeting at a friend's house. He, literally had, he had a second floor apartment and we just kept cramming more and more people into this apartment and we prayed and we praised. One night, we, the, the floor cracked. <laughs> and everybody had to go scampering out because they were afraid it was going to fall through into the, to the, you know, the apartment beneath them. What happened? Well, of course, I was a Protestant at the time, so from a Protestant perspective, this is what I saw. I saw a lot of pe some people wanted to have control. People wanted to, to um, benefit from this movement. They started saying they, you know, they had special teachings from God, and they started founding their own churches, and they started bickering and arguing among themselves and wanting to... Uh, take people out of, you know, take people from one church and put them in another and the Holy Spirit was just gone. But thanks be to God that because of the, the sweep of the Spirit in those early years, it touched so many people's hearts. So many people who came to a knowledge and an understanding of the Holy Spirit's presence in their lives that they could be transformed. They could be changed. They could give up their citizenship in this world for citizenship in the next. You know, I, I know a lot of people who want Jesus to come back. You know people who want to come Jesus to come back? I hear, the, I hear a lot of people. A lot of people, yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> I want Jesus to come back. Of course, we all realize that when Jesus comes back, that's the end of the world, right? The earth ceases to exist 
No more, no more planet, right? Jesus comes back and that's it. But here's the thing. Jesus is back. Jesus is back. This is what Jesus tried to get the apostles to understand when he says, as the Father has sent me, I send you. When G on the day of Pentecost, Jesus returned in spirit so that he could be present in the earth until the end of time in his church. And he gave his church gifts. We read that in the, today's scriptures too. He gave gifts to his church. So each of us, knit together, can be the presence of Christ in the world. That's what we are here for. To be the presence of Christ in the world. Not to give ourselves over to the spirit of the accuser and argue and bicker and try to have control and get our opinion out there in front of others. No, to surrender. Peter says, as he's speaking to the Sanhedrin, he says, God gives his Holy Spirit to those who obey him, to those who surrender to him. If we can surrender our desires to God, if we can surrender our opinions to God, if we can surrender our citizenship in this world to God and be transformed into citizens of the next. And Jesus will be present in us in such power that the world will be transformed. One of the things I like about the day of the Feast of Pentecost is we get to... Uh, quote and sing Psalm 104, which is a great psalm, I, I, and I use that in my, my prayer life often, and um, sometimes I just repeat that. I, 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 wear, I have this little, it's like a, this little thing is called a chalk tea. It's kind of like a rosary. It's, it's, uh, it's knots instead of, uh, it's 50 knots instead of 50 beads, and so when I wake up in the night, because I'm old and old, sometimes old people wake up in the middle of the night. Does this happen to anybody else? Wake up in the middle of the night? And I've got this, so I'm able to pull this out, and I can start praying Psalm 104 at night. In fact, every, at every Mass, before I come and pray the Gospel, come and say the Gospel, I pray Psalm 104, although I do it a little bit differently. I do it this way. Come... Holy Spirit, enlighten the hearts of your faithful. Put light into the hearts of your faithful. Create light in us. I mean, we have the Holy Spirit, don't we? We have the Holy Spirit. I do children's sermons here. And so I bought this little for a dollar at the dollar store. We have the Holy Spirit. This little thing has got batteries. It's got power inside of it, right? We have the dunamis of the Holy Spirit, but sometimes we don't flip the switch. We like to keep that power inside. Oh, I don't want the batteries to run down. Maybe I'll run out of Holy Spirit, right? Flip the switch. Enlighten the hearts of your faithful. Enkindle in us the fire of your love. We have the flames, right? 
I had asked the guy who does the decorating in the church, I said, can you work up some pyrotechnics today? He didn't think that was a good idea. But we have the fire of the Spirit and kindle in us the fire of your love. Are we on fire today? Enkindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be recreated. We shall be transformed. Like the apostles on the day of Pentecost, we can be transformed into new creatures. We can be transformed from citizens of this world into citizens of the next. We can be transformed from people who shake our heads in anxiety at how terrible the world is to people who move forth in power in the world to bring the spirit of love into the world and to oust the spirit of the accuser. Send forth your spirit and we shall be recreated and then through us you shall renew the face of the earth. We always want Jesus to come back and do it for us, but Jesus has already come back. He has given us his spirit so that he, Jesus can say, as the Father sent me, I sent you. Through us, you will renew the face of the earth. That is what Pentecost is. Is that the spirit of Jesus in power and authority, in love and compassion, in giving and even in martyrdom, is still among us, is still in the world. Not so that we can hide behind locked doors like the apostles, but that we can press forth like the transformed apostles. And re through us, the Spirit of Christ shall renew the face of the earth.